So uh, I forgot to unmute my mic, so we're a little behind here. We like to do, uh, as I tell you every other week, you know, we like to do a little uh, showcase, not a little showcase, but showcase of uh, what God is doing in our church and in the people of our church. And uh, this week, Sean has had um, kind of a, a calling on, on his life and uh, that he feels God is leading him to. And he wants to share about that this morning and how we can maybe come alongside him and support him as the body of Christ in this, uh, in this ministry. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, God is making me step out of my comfort zone twice. Right now is the first time because I'm not used to talking in public. So you can probably hear it in my voice. Um, the second one is what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, my life, I've always felt, has been a combination of Abraham and Jonah. God is telling me that I'm going somewhere, but he's not giving me the end destination. But on the other side, if I go the wrong way, I'm going to end up in a belly of a fish and go where I'm supposed to go. Um, That being said, um, at the end of April, I had to leave my job as an accountant because I could not handle it physically, mentally, spiritually. And according to my wife, she wants 50 years with me, so I had to to let go of my job. Um, Awesomely, over the past... Seven, six months, whatever it's been, God has provided for us. We've had to dip into a little savings, but he has given us the resources to continue to follow him, and we have not even dropped, our income dropped in half, but we have not dropped our tithing in half. So he has been so good to us um, financially um, with all our friends and everything. That being said... And I can still feel myself shaking. Um, God is leading me to a direction where people have supported me before. So just out of a sign of hands, is there anybody here who likes to eat? Every day? Okay. (laughs) Thursdays, with the guidance, blessing, insight, and warnings of the Verbowskis, they are asked, I have decided to hopefully start up Thursday night dinners again. Um... (laughs) Tom can vouch for my mac and cheese. My wife can vouch for everything else. (laughs) Um, And so can my friends. Um, But um, like um, Pastor Joe said at Sinclairville, I can't do it myself. We can't do it ourselves. So what I'm really needing, the last piece of the pie, which will probably be eventually for dessert, (laughs) is I would love to have a group of people to help me out every week. I'm looking between three and five people, depending on how many people want to eat each week. Um, I'm losing my notes. Um, just basic things. Thursday, um, I believe they said, the Vrosky said, it was a time for people to come together, um, just one night a week, away from the television, a week from cell, away from cell phones, away from television, just to gather fellowship. I know there were groups of people that met for dinner, and then went on the prayer meetings. So it's just a time to get together, eat, fellowship. Um, Basic things um, on the business side, it would be like cash only for now, just to get going. Um, I was looking at $10 for adults, $5 for kids, 10 and under. Um, Either you can stay there, and um, we'll think about doing to-go meals. Uh, like I said, I think if I get enough people to sign up and help with 
um, doing everything. I would love to start these meals next Thursday, which would be the 20th. Um, I'm thinking the first meal would be uh, Parmesan crusted chicken with some sides, just to get going on from there. And then um, regular stuff, um, spaghetti, lasagna. Casey's great grandma has a great um, Sloppy Joe's recipe. It's a little different, but it tastes delicious. Um, there'll be weekly, once I get everything in order, there'll be weekly sign-up sheets. And you guys, if there's any questions regarding helping or what's for food or everything, you can talk to me. You can either find me up at the piano. Don't ask me during the service. Um, but I'll be up there. I, usually I'm back by the sound booth if I'm not there. Or I'll be at the, I'll be at the point at the end of service today once Brendan lets me go. Um, if you want to talk to me. Um, I think that's everything. It would be f starting at four, from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Thursdays. And I think that's all my notes. And I wanted to end with tell your families, tell your friends, but most importantly, tell me so I know how much food to cook. <laughs> um, and the one thing that is sticking in my head, the Verbowskis sent me an in-depth email they said it took them about 10 years to get everything running smoothly. So if I can have a few weeks grace period to get things going, that would be great. Um, thank you. Hopefully, I think my nervousness calmed down. I'm going to go sit somewhere for a bit and listen to what Tom has to say. Yes. So thank you very much. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's pray for Sean and pray for this ministry that uh, God can do something awesome because God did so much through the Verbowski's ministry and we want to see that again in our church. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, for Sean. I thank you for his heart that he's uh, listening to your calling and uh, that he's willing to step out in faith and, and try this new ministry, Father. Try this new uh, um, adventure, Lord, we'll call it. We pray that uh, you would provide the help that he needs and that you would just give him wisdom and discernment in this and also just the strength um, to make it through this, Father. And Lord, I thank you for his being willing to step out of his comfort zone and come up here and share what you've put on his heart as well. And we do just pray that now you would give him a peace and calm his nerves and uh, just bless him through the rest of this day. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, buddy. So many of you already know this, that uh, Jessica and I are expecting another child. So if, if you didn't know this, you, you know this now. Um, and thank you. I'm trying to build my own congregation so I don't have to rely on <laughs> people from the community. <laughs> but, but why I'm sharing this is not just because I had this desire to, to tell you about that we're having another child, but um, because what many people may not know about this child is we are um, thoroughly convinced that this child is the result of prayer, the result of Amelia's prayers for a sister. So for over a year, and Ellie, uh, Ellie Webb, when you see her next, she can attest to this, that for over a year, my daughter has been praying for a sister. She felt outnumbered by the boys, and uh, real, she as a matter of fact, I got to tell you a funny story. So we, when we had Josiah, 
for the reveal, we had a tug of war. We did it up in the youth room. We videotaped ourselves. And whoever won that tug of war, either me or Eli or Jessica or Amelia, that's what we were having, a boy or a girl. So Eli and I won that tug of war. She was convinced for the longest time that had they just pulled harder, that, that Josiah would have been the girl she had wanted. But that wasn't the case. So she has been praying ever since um, for another tug of war. But the important part of this is that God hears the prayers of our little ones. God hears the prayers of children. In Luke 18, Jesus, the, the disciples are, are uh, kind of swishing away children who are trying to come to Jesus. And Jesus says, he called the children to him and he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. God wants our children. Jesus wanted the children. But more than that, even in Genesis 21, already in Genesis we see God listening to the prayers of children. You may remember the the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar gets sent away with her young son and they're just in the desert. There's no, no place around, nowhere to go. And she has a container of water with her. Well, that container is almost empty. Hagar can't bear to watch her son die, so she takes her son and she sits him under a bush and gives him the last of that water. And then she goes off and she starts to, to cry. <clears throat> well, in Genesis twenty-one seventeen, it says this, God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. God heard the prayer of that child. God hears the prayers of our innocent ones, our little ones. And God hears the prayers of the righteous as well. He hears our prayers as we draw near to him. James 5.16, he tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We must learn to pray and come to God, come to the Father, as small children, innocent, righteous, as James calls them. Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, truly I say to you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We should be moving on a path of righteousness, moving towards becoming more like little children, like having that innocence in our prayer and that faith in our prayer like my daughter had. And we can each, I believe, we can each get to this point to where we are so in tune with God, that we are so closely connected with God that we hear his voice and our prayers become powerful and effective. So how do we do that? And I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is, where does God live? Who knows where God, where does God live? Somebody give me a quick, tell me where God lives. Heaven, everywhere, okay? 
Sam says, in, in my heart, yes, God is everywhere, but most importantly, God is in our hearts. And I've shared this over and over again. We do not worship a God that is up in the sky, distant from us. We worship a God that dwells within us. All through the scriptures, we are his holy temple. We are where God lives now. So if we want to have that relationship with God, what do we need to do to get closer to him? And throughout the history of the church, what, what, what people have shared, what some of the great saints have shared, is that we need to go inward to get closer to the God that lives within us. I share about Richard Foster all the time, who wrote Celebration of Discipline. He talks about the inward disciplines, which are those disciplines that uh, draw us into ourselves closer to the God that dwells within us in their prayer, meditation, fasting, and study. And as we get closer to God inwardly, then outward expressions start to naturally flow from us. In the 16th century, St. Teresa of Avila also wrote a book called The uh, Interior Castle. And in this castle, she says, there are seven dwelling places. She calls them mansions, which is weird. Mansions in a castle. I don't think the translation works well. But it's also dwelling places. So I have to think dwelling places. But the seven dwelling places that she talks about, those seven ways for us to go inwards, closer to God, are humility, the practice of prayer, exemplary life. Remember James, that righteous living prayer of quiet, spiritual betrothal, or prayer of union where we start to seek God more and more and more. And then a growing intimacy is the sixth dwelling place. And finally ending in what she calls spiritual marriage with God or union with God. She says that we can go within ourselves through these practices to get closer to God. James James Gall in his book, The Lost Art of Practicing the Presence of God, says the same thing, but his are seven doors that we walk through, and they're a little bit different than Teresa's. She says, he says the first door is starting that journey, just taking that first step towards God. And then it's forgiveness. We are being forgiveness, forgiven of our sins because we have asked for forgiveness. We are being cleansed or sanctified as the next door. Then we move into humility and then grace, showing grace to others. And finally, mercy and then again, union with Christ. We can move closer to God through holiness so that we can learn to pray like our small children do. Because I know that Amelia is not the only small child who has had powerful prayers. I have heard stories from many people in our church of children and grandchildren who have said prayers that God has heard and answered in mighty ways. Let us move closer to God that we can pray like these children. And all of this has been building up because that's what we want to do in this church. Next Monday, the 17th, we are starting a prayer ministry. And within this prayer ministry, it's going to be during the day. I know that's going to make it hard for some people. It's going to make it hard for a lot of people. But this is the first one. And then later on, we'll see if we can do some more groups. But we want to walk through spiritual formation with people. Going through these disciplines, learning how to pray, learning how to be so close to God that we can hear his voice. 
So as a small group, we're going to work on that together, on encouraging one another and pushing one another towards that goal. So on the 17th of October, 10 a.m., um, Britt and I will be here. We're kind of heading this up together. And we're going to begin this ministry. And it's open to anyone who is seeking to pray for this church and our community. But we're also going to focus on those spiritual disciplines that we can grow closer to God. So I'd love to see you there. Now this wasn't all just a waste for a plug. This is going to tie into the message today as well. Because we are all on a path. Would you open with me to 2 Timothy 2? We're going to read verses 8 through 15. Throughout this sermon today, there's going to be a lot of different verses, and uh, I don't know if they'll all be on the screen. Um, I got them to Casey really late last night, so we may not have them up on the screen. I apologize. I'm not going to turn to each one of them. I'm going to read them. I have them printed out um, for the sake of time, just because there's so many of them. But uh, we, I am trying to get the stuff to Casey sooner. <coughs> Excuse me. So 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruin to those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have revealed to us the paths that we should take, the way that we should go, that we can draw closer to you. Oh, Father, let that be the desire for each of us. We don't naturally have that desire because we are sinful people, Lord. Because of the fall, our desire is to run away from you, to not want any part of you, Lord. So I pray, Father, that you would work in our heart, that you would call us to yourself. And that you would give us that passion and that that desire to know you more, to love you more, to be in a closer, more intimate relationship with you, Father. And I pray that today each person here walks out that door, sensing that call, sensing that pull toward yourself. And Father, let the words that come out of my mouth be your words. But more importantly, let the words that this congregation hears be your words. Whether it's something I've said or something I haven't, let them hear your voice. Speak to each person where they're at. 
Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to break this passage down a little bit, kind of like uh, we did two weeks ago, where we're just sort of going going to look at it and kind of go through the passage. So first of all, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul has put Timothy in this church, and now he's mentoring him. He's giving him advice on how to to run this church. And Paul tells Timothy to keep reminding people of these things. So that's uh, down at the bottom. Keep reminding God's people of these things. So there's two questions that we need to ask in that section. Keep reminding God's people of these things. First of all, and this seems obvious, but who is Timothy supposed to remind? And it says, God's people, right? So he's talking about the church. He says, keep reminding the church of these things. See, often we get confused on who the commands are for. Now this time, it's kind of obvious in that passage, but I want to make sure that we are really looking and and understanding who is being spoken to here. Because most of the time, there's, there's some areas where people definitely get confused. And most of the time, if not all the time, one of the phrases that gets thrown around that is often confused is love one another. Right? It seems obvious, right? Love one another. Who's, God, who's, who's Jesus talking about? Who's Paul talking about? Who's John talking about when he says love one another? Well, love the world, right? But almost always, if not every time in the Bible, when it says love one another, it is talking about us as the church, us as the people of God loving one another. It is important that we understand who these passages are talking to. Now, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say that we take care of people. We're supposed to help the poor. That's in Deuteronomy 15. We're supposed to defend the weak. That's in Psalm 82. We're supposed to look after orphans and widows. That's Isaiah 1. But whenever we study the word of God, it's important to be aware of the who the writer is referring to. So in this passage, the who is the church. The who is you. Timothy is to remind you of what Paul has said. Those who have entered that first door that Gaul talked about, or the first dwelling place that Teresa talked about, the church, those who are believers in Jesus Christ. But what is the next question? What is he supposed to remind them of? Well, at the very beginning, he says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Obviously, we need to keep reminding people of the gospel. He says, this is the gospel for which I am in chains. But I think he's also telling Timothy to remind the people, remind the church that there's a path that they are supposed to take. There is a path that we are all on. And it's a really easy path. It's two steps, actually. Die, die with Christ, and then endure, second step. Simple as that, right? It's just a two-step path. Nobody should forget that path that Paul is saying that we are on. And then he also tells tells, uh, Timothy to remind them, though, to not go off the path. Don't veer to the right or to the left, but if you do, if you do happen to stumble, remind them that God is still faithful. These are the things 
that Timothy is supposed to remind the church. So let's go through this path. In his, here is a trustworthy saying section, if you're um, still looking at this in your Bible. The first path, it says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. So what does it mean to die with Christ? Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what does it mean to die for Christ? Does it mean physical death? If you're in the early church, sometimes. Even today in some countries, it means physical death. But for us here, it means that we are to die to the things of this world. We are to die to ourselves. St. Teresa, in that book I told you about, um, The Interior Castles, she talks about one of the mansions And she compares dying with Christ to being like silkworms who feed on the mulberry leaves until they are full grown. And she goes through the whole description of how they they eat, they're big, they're ugly caterpillars. Apparently I've never seen a silkworm, so I don't know. But she is not a fan of the looks of silkworms anyways. And then they surround themselves in this cocoon of silk that they've created. And within that silk, they're hidden as we are hidden with Christ. They die to what they were. But then when they come out of those cocoons, just like we're more familiar probably with monarch butterflies, they come out of those cocoons as these beautiful white butterflies. When we die with Christ, when we die to ourselves, when we die to the things of this world, when we can truly say nothing here matters to me but Christ and Christ alone, she says when that transformation occurs, it is truly wondrous. We are called to die with Christ. We want to hold on to the things of this world. We want our our money. We want the things that we enjoy for pastimes and hobbies. We don't want to give up anything that we like. But we are called to die to the things of this world. None of them matter anymore. And once we die, the next section says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So believe it or not, if you've tried to die to the things of this world, if you've tried to get rid of your worldly possessions or or stop caring about the things that don't matter of this world, and you have found that difficult, the scary part is that's the easy part of this two-step path. Because the more difficult part is once you die to the things of this world, now you've got to endure like that. In Matthew 19, Jesus says to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In Romans 8:16, 
Paul tells us the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Once we have died to self, died to the things of this world, then we must continue to endure in this state until, as Paul said, the renewal of all things, or as Jesus said, the renewal of all things. The enduring part throughout the ages for the saints has been the difficult part of this path. St. John of the Cross, when he was so close to God that he was hearing from God and he he could sense God's presence, but then he also went through what he called his dark night of the soul. Many of the writers have called it that arid period of their lives or the valleys of their lives. And sometimes we think we are going through dark nights of the soul and do not use that, that term lightly because if we're struggling because of bad decisions we've made, you're not going through a dark night of the soul. You're not going through an arid place. You're, you're reaping the results of some decisions you have made. Or maybe it's because other people have made decisions. It's not the same thing. When we get so close to God that we can sense his presence, we will go through periods of dryness. The writer of The Cloud of Unknowing, a monk from like the 15th century, writes that he is at a point where he feels like his prayers aren't reaching heaven. So his answer to people, what do I do? He just keeps praying and praying, bashing those prayers against the ceiling of his room, of his cell, until they break through. The hard part of this is the enduring. There's a saying that anyone can do anything for, what, 30 seconds or something, whatever it is. But to do this continually until the renewal of all things That is the difficult part of this path, and we cannot do that on our own. We need the church. We need brothers and sisters who are on the same path with the same desire as we have to help us through those difficult moments, those arid times. But we are called to endure. It's not enough to say it. It's not enough to say I've died to the world. It's not enough to say I believe in Jesus Christ. We have to endure till the end, following him, following his commands. Because the next section of this is to warn the church. Paul tells Timothy, warn the church. Because if we disown him, he will also disown us. And we see this in Matthew 10. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This is very straightforward in the early church. In about the third century, I'm thinking, 300, so fourth century, there was a big debate between Cyprian and Novatius. After the the persecution of Declius, there were many Christians who you had to offer sacrifices to Caesar. And if you didn't do that, then you couldn't do business. And we've talked about this a couple months ago. You couldn't do business in their agora, right? You couldn't do business in their marketplace. You couldn't do anything unless you had a little certificate that they gave you that said that you had offered incense to Caesar. 
Now, many Christians left the area to get away from this. Some suffered persecution. Some were fed to wild animals. And we have the stories of Perpetuia, I can't remember how to say her name, and Felicia, a much easier name to say. But uh, the two of them were two that were fed to wild animals during this time. But what other people would do was they would bribe the officials to give them a certificate. So they would buy them. Now, they may not have actually offered incense, but they still bought it. And the church believed, many in the church believed, that by doing that, you were denying Christ. So there was a big debate. Should we allow them, after the persecution was over, back into the church? Cyprian has a pretty convincing argument that, yes, we should show them grace and allow them back in, especially those who didn't actually offer incense. But, to, but at that point, it was very easy to see who denied Christ and who didn't. Because you were denying him with your words first. Today, though, we still deny Christ, even if we don't do it with our words. Nobody today says, oh, I believe, well, there are people who say, I don't believe in God, but very seldomly do people criticize and say bad things about Jesus. Most people talk about him being a good leader, a good teacher, um, you know, a prophet maybe even. But today, we deny Christ more often with our deeds. Paul, in 1 Timothy 5.8, gives an example of this. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These people that he's talking about had denied the faith. They denied Christ, not with words, but with their actions. So if we say we follow Christ and yet we live as though we have no God, then we deny Christ. If we sit in these pews every Sunday, but we go home and begin to live like there is no God, we are denying Christ. We are the people that he is talking about in these passages. And he says, if you disown me, I will disown you before my Father. Now you may think, well, this is untrue. God would never disown us or turn us away, would he? God loves everybody. He wants everyone to, to, to be a part of the family. He would never turn anyone away. In Matthew 19, a man comes up to Jesus and he's a rich man, and he says, Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? This man had spent his life in the temple. He had spent his life sitting in the pews of the church. So when Jesus says, follow the commandments, then, then he's like, well, yeah, I can do that. I, I've never murdered or committed adultery. I'm, I'm pretty good. But then Jesus doesn't say, okay, come with us. Jesus says, good, now go and give all you possess to the poor and then come follow me. Die to yourself, and then come follow me. And what happens to that rich young ruler? He walks away. Jesus turned him away because he would not die to himself. He denied Christ. We see the same thing in John 6. Jesus is talking about... uh, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. This was a very difficult teaching for the people of that day. And they said, well, surely we cannot do that. We cannot eat of flesh and drink of blood. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you do this, you have no part in me. 
These were the followers of Jesus. These were his disciples. You know, there were more than 12. There were a lot of disciples at one point. There was 12 that was the core group. All of them, except for the 12, left over this teaching because they didn't want to accept and die to themselves and accept the teaching that Christ had for them. And he let them walk away. Does Jesus turn people away? Finally, he talks about at the last days when he comes in glory, there will be goats and sheep and the sheep will be on his right hand. Sorry, I had to figure out which was my right hand for a second there. The sheep will be at his right hand and he's going to say, come with me, you who have been faithful with, to paradise. You know, he's saying that they're coming with him because they took care of the poor. They did the things he commanded them to do and the goats he's going to send away because he didn't, they didn't do the things that he had commanded them to do. Very short story I made that into. So, Feel free to read that fuller in in Matthew 25. Jesus does not just say everybody gets to come in. It's very clear in the word of God that we are called to die to ourselves. So maybe you have been sitting There are people who are sitting in these pews in here and around our country and around the world every Sunday who on the last day will be turned away. Now maybe you're worried that this is you. And I kind of hope you are. Because it's not a bad place to be. The bad place to be is an arrogance to think, oh, I'm good. The good place to be is to always be seeking and making sure that we are right with God, that we are where we should be. And that's not a bad place to be if you're concerned because there's still hope. Because at the end of that section, Paul tells Timothy to remind them to do their their best to present themselves to God as one approved. We are called to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved. If you remember several weeks ago, I shared the story about St. Pesios. He's, uh, he's an Orthodox uh, abbot. And uh, the person had come to him who wanted help with some grief in their life. They were struggling with some stuff. And uh, he says, do these things. And basically what St. Pesios tells them to do is practice these spiritual disciplines pray, study, go do visitations, do these things you're called to do. Ultimately, what he says to this person, do what you can do, and God will do what you cannot. Do what you can do, and God will do for you what you cannot. See, there's times that, we, uh, that we're going to struggle, and we're going to fail, I don't stand up here in front of you self-righteous saying I don't fail, that I don't screw up. But I thank God that I have one who is an advocate with the Father for me so that when I do fail, I can turn back on to the path. Because if I'm dying to myself, then when I do fail, I'm not going to stay off the path. I'm going to get back on the path. That's what we are called to do. And if we are doing what we can do, if we are spending that time with God, if we are working on building that relationship with God, 
He will do what we cannot, and he will transform us into that wonderful, wondrous creation, as St. Teresa called it. Paul wants Timothy to remind the church, to remind us of our calling and our path. We are to die to ourselves, die to the things of this world, and then begin the hard work of enduring in this state. And we cannot do this alone. We need God. We need one another. And while on this path, while you're on this path, do what you can to not stray to the left or to the right, but continue on the path set before you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for my church family here today. My brothers and sisters who I get to laugh with, mourn with, celebrate with. I thank you that we have family here, Lord. That we can also spur one another on towards good works. That we can spur one another on towards a closer intimacy with you. Father, do a mighty work in your church and in the people of your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now is the time that we have to reflect on um, you know, what you've heard today, but also on the ways God has blessed you. Uh, we don't ask you to give if you are not a, part of our, a member of our church, if you're just a visitor. We're not asking for your money, and we don't pass a basket, so the baskets are in the back. If you want to put something in there as you get to give back to God out of all he's blessed you with, then please do that to support this church. But let's spend some time in, in reflection of what God has done for us.